So growth and opposition in the early church, this could be fun. <laughs> um, so last week, um, I got in my car, drove to the Asda petrol station, because that's definitely the cheapest around here, um, and uh, filled up my car with fuel. So what, you might say. So what did I do then? Well, I got in my car and drove it because that's what the car's made for and the fuel is needed to put into the car in order to let the car do what it's made for. Yeah, I could have filled it up, parked it on the drive and just left it. But what would be the point in that? That would be ludicrous. Well, I fueled it for a purpose and carried out that purpose. A few weeks ago, Mark Mitchell spoke brilliantly about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, now, as we come to this bit, we see some of the results of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. We see what happened next. Because he didn't fill them just for their own good. He filled them for a purpose. Just like I filled my car for a purpose. Now, part of that purpose is that, yeah, it's good for us. It's good for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just as it was this morning, and it has been this morning. That's a good thing. It benefits us. It's good for us. We should allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, in our meetings, all the time. In fact, at the end of when Mark, that, that morning when Mark spoke, I said, this is something we will pursue as a church. We will not deviate from this. This is vital. It's important. It's, why would you want to do church without the filling of the Holy Spirit and his free reign when we come together? I don't get that. So we will continue to do that. And that is one of the purposes of being filled with the Spirit. It's good for us. He helps us. He comforts us. I always used to say on the Alpha course, remember, he, he's part of the Godhead. He's the Trinity. He's not an it. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. He is personal to us. He convicts us. He comforts us. But he also fuels us. And what does he fuel us for? What is the purpose one, the, one of the main purposes for which the Holy Spirit comes upon us is to fuel us for mission, to fuel us to go, to fuel us to see disciples made. Because when you see this happen in the early church, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and what happens? There's an explosive growth in the church. Well, actually, the church comes into being. There's explosive growth in people turning to Jesus, becoming Christians, as we call it now, therefore, the church. Got to watch I don't get sidetracked to start talking about our church planting strategy, which isn't for church planting. It's to make disciples. Because if you make disciples, you get disciples, and once you've got disciples, well, you've got a church. That's church planting. Keep stepping forward. I have to step back and be behind the speakers, otherwise I'll get feedback. The wrong kind of feedback. So today we have a purpose.
purpose. We are being fueled by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. We want to see the kingdom advance. We want to see the church grow. We want to see people saved and added and filled and going out and doing the same. That's what we want to see. So this morning, that's the purpose I'm talking about. And I'm going to go through three principles from a passage in Acts that illustrate that, that help us with that, that I think we need to get hold of from that. I have no idea what time I started, so I'm just going to keep going until I finish. (laughs) So Acts chapter 4, this is part of our series in Acts. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22 are the verses we're going to look at. We're not going to go through every bit. I'm just picking out three bits that suit my purpose this morning. So, let's read some of it, and then I'm going to pause through, throughout it as, as we uh, look at a few things. So, Acts 4, 1-22, As they, this is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So let's pause there a moment. They were proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. They were telling people who he was, what he'd done, and many believed. You see, they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were fueled by the Holy Spirit. They were given boldness and fire from the Holy Spirit to be able to do this for the purpose that Jesus had sent them for. But we see here, not everybody they spoke to believed. And yet still, 5,000, now it says 5,000 men, that's really their way of saying 5,000 households were added, became believers on That day. Were the disciples surprised? No. Remember Pentecost, 3,000 added. Explosive growth. But even so, there were many who still didn't believe. It didn't say all believed, it said many believed. Some didn't believe. Just how many people were they speaking to? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. However, from this bit, here is the principle. And I'm I'm pulling out three things from the passage. Then we're going to go through them. But we're not going to go through them in the order they appear in the passage. It'll all become clear. So here's the principle from this bit. Not everyone who hears believes. And we're going to go into that in more detail later. And that will be important and helpful and hopefully an encouragement to you. Okay, let's carry on with the passage. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Okay, another pause here. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and then told them all of the truth of Jesus. Here's the principle I want to pull out of this bit that we'll we'll look at. You must 
Be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do what God has called you to do. We can't do it any other way. Okay, that's number two. So, back to the passage. Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done, they've just seen the healing of a crippled man. But what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. So, just one more, another pause. They could not believe that these ordinary, uneducated men could speak to them in this way. It was incredible. You see, what had happened is as the Holy Spirit had come on them, they had been fundamentally changed by him and in terms of what they could then do. He gave them the boldness. He gave them the courage. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's a fundamental change, which means you become and can do far more than you would ever be able to do on your own. It's important to understand that. And then the last chunk of the the passage here. And they recognized that the disciples here had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they'd got nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them back in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Wow! got a birthday coming up this week and it's a long, long way past that. <laughs> More than 40 and he's still standing there healed. Astonishing. Brilliant. And here's principle number three from this. You will be opposed or even persecuted. That is inevitable. Now I've talked a lot, as you will know, about discipleship about the Great Commission, and uh, we've been training people on being disciples who make disciples to see the kingdom advance. Because in the end, that is the strategy that God gave us, that Jesus gave us, as he sent us out, sent out the believers in Matthew 28, and same for us, we are sent out in his authority to make disciples, who then make disciples. And today I want us to look at these three principles that hopefully give us hope and help in terms of our own lives and the lives of the life of this church family. 
So, principle one, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, I've changed the order in which they come in the passage because really the order in which they come in Acts is you must be filled with the Spirit. That happens first. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do what God wants you to do. You see, Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit came, filled the believers, and church happened because people were changed. They could not keep it into themselves. It exploded in growth. And this wasn't just about the gifts. It is about gifts. They are good. They happen. They're now. They're for today. The speaking in tongues, the healing, you know, there's loads of things they saw at Pentecost. But it wasn't just about that. It was about the fundamental change in the people that the Holy Spirit brought to give boldness and courage to speak out and proclaim Jesus. Verse 13 of the passage we've just read. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They'd just seen a man healed. It had caught their attention. But then the disciples stood up and spoke and they went, wow, how can uneducated men do that? How can they know what they know? How can they say what they say in the way that they say it? Because the Holy Spirit is in them fueling them, giving them the courage and the fire and the the desire to do it. So I look at this and I ask myself some questions. And at first I thought, wow, they're hard questions. And I thought, no, questions are easy. The answers are really hard. They're hard to hear. Because again, they're easy to answer. Because my question is, in my life, am I seeing this? No. Easy to answer. Really hard to hear. Should I be seeing this? The same Holy Spirit at work in them who is at work in us. Now, you may say, well, that was the very beginning of the church. You know, it was new, that explosive growth. It it had to happen that way. And yes, kind of. 5,000 added. Well, we couldn't cope with 5,000 right now added. Okay, we, we couldn't. Could we cope with 500? Maybe not. Could we cope with 50? Yes. Are we seeing 50? No. It's the same Holy Spirit. So why are we not seeing what they saw then? These are the questions I'm asking myself and sharing with you. I'm not seeing it. And that leads me to some more questions. Questions like, what's my expectation of being a Christian? I've been in churches all my life. My parents are Christians, my dad's parents, his parents, their parents. It's a very blessed position to be in. But I've not ever seen this. So what's gone wrong? Why? What are my expectations of being a Christian? What are my expectations of of the church, the gathered body. And when I say church, you know, often people talk about the church as though it's some abstract notion separate from themselves. It's not. When we say the church this, the church that, what we're saying is you and you and you and you. We really need to be careful how we use the word church, don't we? Or the church is this. What you mean I am? You are. Your people are. That's the church. 
We're talking about each other here. What's my expectation of me, of us? Is my expectation that there will be fast, constant, consistent growth of new believers? Or have I, have we settled into a safe, predictable comfort that isn't biblical? Have we? More questions with very uncomfortable answers. Have we become too comfortable over the years with the routine of our meetings and our easy Western lifestyle? And it is easy, isn't it? Yeah, we have our ups and downs, but it's easy. See, the believers then were fueled by the Holy Spirit. They spoke out courageously, but it wasn't comfortable. They didn't have it easy. It was not easy for them to do that. How uncomfortable are we willing to be in this area? How surrendered to the Holy Spirit are we willing to be in this area? You know, we come on a Sunday, and I love this. This is good. This is right. This is biblical. We will keep on meeting together like this, allowing the Holy Spirit to come Encouraging one another, this is right and proper. And I love it. But it's really easy to be abandoned to the Holy Spirit here. It's safe. It's easy. It's not as easy to do this elsewhere, to be that abandoned. You see, I see a big gap between what I'm reading here and the expectations of this. And what I'm seeing day to day. And I think you'd probably agree that we are all seeing this. This is why we want to train people to be disciple makers. Jesus did this. So before this happened, Jesus trained them to be disciple makers. He sent them out to make disciples, to speak to people, to go into towns and build relationship with people. Go into their houses, stay there. This wasn't just about shouting from the corners. You can see it. They went, go in their houses, find a person of peace, see someone who's, who's willing to listen to you. That's what he taught them to do, and that's what we are teaching. We want to train people to do this. I think we're heading in the right direction. We're doing the right thing, but we've still got some way to go. But we can see this happen. We must see it happen. The Spirit is in us. Just in the same way as in those early believers. And we've sung it today. Okay, We've all sung it. We've all proclaimed it. So now, <laughs> we've got to live in the good of it. Again, it's easy to oh, I'm singing it because it's a good song. Okay, now let's do it. <laughs> but listen, this isn't all about doom and gloom. Oh, we're not seeing this. Oh, we're not... I don't want it to be like that. I want us to come out this morning with an expectation and a faith that we're going to see this, that this can happen, this will happen. We need to be asking God, God, do it here. We want to see it here. But we also need to be ready to count the cost. One of the things the early believers had was nothing. They had their faith. They had very little else. They just didn't have stuff. 
And so there was nothing in the way. They, weren't, they didn't have a comfortable lifestyle to jeopardize because they didn't have a comfortable lifestyle. So we need to be honest with ourselves and with each other about what our faith means to us. It's a sobering thought for the Western church. Anyway, let's move on to the next principle and see what it is we need to do. So principle two, not everyone who hears believes. So how do we do this? How are we going to see this all happen? You see, we don't get many opportunities in our culture um, to speak to tens of thousands of people like the disciples seem to be doing in this. So how are we going to do it? God has put you in the place he wants you. God has put you in your workplace, in your friendship group. He's given you interests and desires that then mean you meet people, hobbies and things like that. But he has put you amongst friends and colleagues and family. That is the world that God has got you in. That is where he has put you. You're not there by accident. You're there because he wants you there. You're there because he wants a spirit-filled Christian in that place. To make a difference, just like the disciples. That's where they were put. So that's where they made a difference. Not all the believers were speaking to tens of thousands. Others were at home doing their job with their neighbours. That's the world God has put you in. So what do we do? Well, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a parable of a farmer sowing seed. Some of you all heard me say this on the discipleship training. I'm going to say it again. And he scattered the seed and some of it fell on the path snatched away by birds. Some of it fell on good ground and grew. Some of it grew a bit and then didn't grow much more. Now, it's a weird parable, that, because generally speaking, a farmer would have been really careful with his seed. It was a valuable commodity. Just make sure it goes into the right ground. Don't be too liberal with it. You know, Just be careful with it. But actually, in this parable, the seed is God's word, and God's word is unlimited. So Jesus is going, whoa. They think, well, hang on a minute. This doesn't fit. He's really got their attention because they'd have understood the agricultural uh, story. Actually, what God is, what Jesus is teaching in this parable is you've got unlimited seed, scatter it far, wide, every opportunity. Don't worry about where it falls. Don't be concerned about where it falls. Just get it out there. Every opportunity. Do you know what? Some of it won't grow. And guess what? That's not your problem. God makes it grow. You don't have to go, well, I'm just preparing someone first. I'm preparing. No. Scatter it far and wide. And what does that look like? What does it look like in practice? Well, it means telling stories, speaking to people's situations, sharing biblical stories with them. Let me illustrate this. I was at work. Um, this is going back 18 months, two years. And, and there was some uh, disagreement between people. Some people were falling out. And they wanted to get management involved and all the rest of it. So I said to them, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you've got a problem with that person, go and speak to them. Resolve it between you. And if it's resolved, you don't have to involve anyone else. You don't need management. You don't need to make a big thing of it. Nobody else needs to know. Oh, okay. 
If you can't sort that out, then get someone you trust, bring them in, let them help you. And then it doesn't have to go any further than that. But then, of course, if you still can't resolve it, bring someone in. Now, some of you will know, that's Matthew 18, 15. It's biblical peacemaking. It's the Bible. And then my colleagues were going, wow, that's brilliant. Now, at that point, I could have said, I know, it's great, isn't it? (laughs) But at that point, I said, you know what? That's from the Bible. There was stunned silence. Now, I didn't preach the gospel. No one fell on their face in repentance. But actually, I sowed a seed. And that seed was, the Bible is relevant to your life today. I don't know what's come of that, if anything. But that is a seed. That is how easy it is to sow a seed. I didn't even need to say it's from the Bible, but I thought, actually, there's the seed. That's what we can do. We sow seed. Every opportunity, sow seed. Now, what we also teach on the discipleship training, which I didn't know back then, and it's something I've learned, which should know, is what we say to people. When you've shared that with someone, ask them a question. Who do you know that needs to hear that? Because you're suddenly teaching them to disciple others without them knowing it. That's the disciples who make disciples. So I could have said to my friends, remember that and teach it to someone else. That way, the biblical seed spreads. And don't forget to tell them it was from the Bible. Scattering seed. Not everyone who hears believes, but don't worry. Just scatter the seed. And where you see God making it grow, build relationship, start to make a disciple and teach them to do the same. It doesn't have to be difficult. Don't be discouraged when you're doing this and you're saying, but I'm not seeing anything. Just keep going. Keep scattering the seed. So, principle three. You will face opposition. Persecution. Hard times. Because of the gospel. It will happen. I'm not facing that right now. I'm not sure many people are facing that here right now. But that might be because we're not getting out there enough and doing this. Maybe. We see after Pentecost, the church grew quickly and the authorities were threatened by it. They couldn't handle it. We saw it in Acts 4 there. There's another account similar to that in Acts 5, 17, where the, where the, uh, the, the disciples were beaten, physically beaten for it. And the persecution continued and intensified over the decades. So we see Stephen's murder in Acts 6. We see a a great persecution referred to, leading to a scattering in Acts 8. We see James' death in Acts 12, Peter's imprisonment in Acts 12. The believers were prepared to suffer and even die for the sake of the gospel. They were prepared. And in spite of the opposition, the church grew. But you know what? Jesus said this would happen. Matthew 10, 16 to 18. Behold, I'm sending you out sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent of doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. There's an expectation here 
as we look at the book of Acts, that the church will grow and will grow quickly and will grow constantly. But there's also an expectation that we will suffer for the gospel. And we need to be cognizant of the two. We need to know both. Are we seeing either? No, not right now. But we need to. Because they go hand in hand. And it's sobering. I don't want to suffer. I don't, I'm not very good at suffering. I don't like suffering. Things only have to go a little bit wrong and I'm like, oh. But we will suffer for the gospel. And we will see that in our nation. I, I, I'm convinced of it. Because it goes hand in hand. And if we're saying we will see growth in our nation, we will see disciples made, we will see the church increase because that's God's plan. If we're saying we will see that in our nation, then we have to say we will see opposition. We will see persecution. But guess what? The early church, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went anyway, just as Jesus had commanded them in Matthew 28. They would go and make disciples of all nations, teaching people to obey everything Jesus had commanded and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see... So we're talking about buildings, right? I think we need a building with somewhere where we can baptise people every week. Because I want us in faith to say we're ready for that. I want us to be baptising people because that's the expectation. And right now we're not seeing it. And we want to. God, do it here. We can say God, do it here. And it's right to say God, do it here. But then we need to go and do it. We need. Jesus didn't say pray that there'll be disciples made. He said go and make disciples. There's an expectation. They weren't surprised. The believers then, when the church grew, they weren't surprised. When they were beaten for the sake of the gospel, they weren't surprised. Maybe we'd be a little more surprised. But I want to get to a point where it's normal. I don't want to be beaten for the gospel. But you know what? I want to be in a position where I think the gospel's worth it. I'm not sure that I'm in that position right now. It's not good, is it? Does it mean so much to us to share the word that we don't care what happens? Are we bold enough and full of the spirit enough to say, who cares about the consequences as long as people hear the word? As long as people have seeds sown amongst them. I don't know whether we're there yet. So what's our expectation? Now I know that we are in a, we're in a very different political and cultural situation than the one in Acts. And so we're unlikely, when we face opposition, we're unlikely to be publicly flogged. 
as things stand right now. We're unlikely to be beaten by the authorities as things stand right now. But sometimes I read the news and think, oh, I'm not sure it's far off. <laughs> so we're not going to see exactly the same pattern that they see. But the principle is we will see growth. We will see it happen. We will scatter seed. And we will see lives changed. There was growth and opposition in the early church. That should be the norm amongst us too. So I just want to encourage you. Although that last bit doesn't sound that encouraging, does it? But I want to encourage you. Every opportunity, scatter the seed. In every situation, what story can I tell here? What seed can I scatter here? It comes with a cost. But let's do it anyway. Let me conclude. I was really concerned when I put all this together yesterday. that I didn't want it to come across harsh or condemning. I didn't want, to, want it to come across as Paul's latest rant. <laughs> um, and I hope it hasn't. Because that's not my heart. I... I want to highlight the difference between what was expected, what was seen in the early church and what we see now. I want to stir us to see that gap of the difference close. And I want my concerns, my concerns about saying this stuff, I want them to be outweighed by my concern for the gospel for our, and for our expectation of what God can do. I wonder whether it's too low. What are our expectations of what God can do? We need to stir ourselves. We need to stir one another. Have we settled for something less? Have we settled for a comfort that we shouldn't have settled for? We should be seeing people saved, baptised regularly, all the time. It should be normal. So I urge you, be asking God, what can I, what seed can I sow in this situation? And just let him guide you. Lift your expectation of what God can do in the world in which he's placed you. Say, God, you've put me here. So you must be wanting to do something here. That's our expectation. And let's be filled with the spirit because that's the only way we can do it. <laughs>